my days. Welcome back to Tom's Takes. This is me, Tom Patterson, uh, your host of this podcast. Um, episode eight now. Damn, we, we're building them up, building them up slowly. Uh, I think it's been less than 24 hours since the last episode, since I've been recording it at least. Hopefully, see how quickly I can edit and put this out, but can't stay away from you guys. Love talking about sports. It's uh, It's been good so far. We've had a a big day, a lot of uh, two big game sevens in the NBA and just a few other things in the NFL and in uh, soccer that's happened lately that I'll just touch on briefly that I thought was interesting. So I'm back. We're out here. Well, whatever time it is for you, uh, wherever you are right now, I hope you're having a great day. It's great to be back. Uh, yeah. Even though it's it hasn't been long since I've uh, last recorded the episode, um, Parv and I watched like an interesting documentary on Netflix last night, and highly recommend you watch it. It's called Icarus. Uh, it's on Netflix. Oh, fascinating! I watched it. It came out in 2017, and I think I watched it in 2017, 2018, um, back with my mum ages ago. But then I don't think Parv had ever seen it before, so. Again, just like trying to learn about lots of sports and keep up with what's happening. Uh, this one's, uh, it starts out, it's it's one of those films, it's almost like a thriller. It's almost like a, a fiction sort of thing, um, a fiction movie that's like a great Leonardo DiCaprio film or, you know, Matt Damon born identity, like lots of twists and turns in this documentary, but it's, it's real life. Uh-huh, that's the best thing about documentaries. Uh, but this one, Icarus, it, it starts out, a certain way and well it starts out being a documentary about um this casual cyclist who is slowly like getting better and does this crazy sort of mini tour to france in switzerland every year and then he wants to try sort of like doping he wants to try and um yeah use doping te- sort of techniques like take steroids take testosterone take human growth hormone uh, get all juiced up like I was suggesting the ML- MLB players do yesterday. Um, yeah, get all sourced up and, and get better and see, you know, what was his performance in the last few years without, you know, without taking any um, illegal sort of substances or performance-enhancing drugs and then comparing it, put himself on a, on a protocol and seeing how well he does this year, what's the difference. So it starts out, that's like the premise of the documentary, and then he meets a scientist to sort of like develop his uh, doping protocol. And then the story shifts and it just gets, uh, you go down a rabbit hole and it gets crazy interesting from there. So if you haven't watched it, definitely check it out. Uh, even if you don't like cycling, like it's, it's a massive insight into Russia and you know, anti-doping laws and how the Olympics worked and how many people at the Olympics actually cheat and should we even have sport anymore if if so many people cheat. Um, it's, it's a crazy documentary, really eye-opening. So go out and watch it. Super entertaining. Uh, yeah, Pav loved it as well. Another thing that I thought I should touch on, but on, you know, a different type of note and a bit sad, a bit somber was that in the cricketing world, you know, over the last few months, we've had quite a few legends sort of pass away. Like we had uh, Rod Marsh um, two or three months ago, um, unfortunately, have a heart attack and pass away um, in his 70s. 
Um, and then more recently we had Shane Warne, um, who passed away um, while he was overseas on a holiday in Bali, I'm pretty sure. And then just yesterday, or the day before, we had Andrew Simons as well, um, unfortunately passed away in a car accident. So, man, really tragic and... All of these players just made such a big impact on the game of cricket. And, you know, even though I'm only 25, Shane Warne and Andrew Simons in particular, they were so entertaining to watch and, yeah, were must-watch TV back when Australia sort of were a dynasty and just beating everyone no matter what form of competition, whether it was test cricket, one days or 2020s. Um, Shane Warne and Andrew Simons in particular were, were big parts in all of Australia's major trophies throughout those, you know, 2000s and 2010s. So rest in peace to those three legends and, um, I don't know, can we, can we have a break for the rest of the year? No more, uh, major sporting deaths, at least in, in the cricketing team. Uh, man, it must be, uh, really hard to take for a lot of those, sort of recent alumni and lots of those recent retirees that played with, you know, Shane Warne and Andrew Simons in particular, that's just, you know, these guys were, you know, still in their primes, you know, not in their like professional athlete primes, but, you know, only in their, in their mid forties, like so much life ahead of them. Like you would think at least a good 30, 40 years, but I guess, uh, that's why they say that life is precious and life is short. So, you know, tomorrow's never promised. You always have to treat every day like a blessing. So I don't know. It's a good reminder to, to be in the present and to be thankful for, for what you have and who's around you. So yeah, a good reflection. A lot of this episode is going to be focused on the NBA game sevens. Um, but before that, there's just been a few interesting storylines or moments that I've seen in the soccer world uh, around the world lately that I thought would be um, good to cover. So the first one being uh, in the German league, German soccer league, um, the relegation battle, there was an interesting moment where um, Stuttgart was one of those teams similar to like in the EPL where we talked about a few episodes where Everton and Leeds are all sort of battling to avoid relegation, avoid being the team that drops down to the bottom or a lower division next year. And Stuttgart in the German league is one of those teams. And they went into the final game of the season needing a win, win and uh, escape. And it was the 90th minute and the game is still uh, drawing. They're still at this stage getting relegated. And then... 92nd minute, they pop up and get the winning goal and all the fans at that point, uh, well, the referee calls full time as in the last minute. As soon as the ref blows his final whistle, all the 90,000 fans who are at the game, at the stadium, charge onto the field, just storm the field and uh, just a pure moment of like pure joy, elation and fans just going crazy. Like you see pictures of uh, the ground 30 seconds after the game's finished and you can't even see, you know, the goals or the grass anymore. You can't see any green grass. It's just 90,000 people on a field similar to when, or it reminded me of the moment in the AFL a few weeks ago, um, the Sydney Swans game where uh, Buddy Franklin kicked his thousandth goal um, in his career 
And as soon as he kicked it, it was like, when was it? In the first or second quarter or whenever it was, as soon as he slotted it through, uh, the whole the whole stadium, every Swans fan was on the field trying to get as close to uh, Lance Franklin as they could and just celebrating and being so happy for him. So it reminded me of that. And I thought that that was such a cool moment. Um, another thing was back to the EPL now. And, you know, it's been such a tough battle or tight battle at the top between Liverpool and Man City. But intriguingly, Man City in one of these final games, like with only a few games to go, they played West Ham just recently, just yesterday, and they drew to all with them. A uh, very unexpected result, and they were down, I think, 2-0 in this game. So they did well to even salvage a point, salvage a draw, but man, this late in the year, especially with how close it is with Liverpool and trying to win uh, the Premier League, you can't be throwing away points, and that's two points dropped there to, you know, West Ham have been quite a decent squad uh, over the last couple of years. Like, previously they were not a top 10 team, and now this year they're, I think they're seventh or eighth in the table. Um, so, you know, they're not they're not losing to last place or anything, Man City. That would be a, a bad choke, but this is still choking away some points. And like I said, at least they got one, but advantage Liverpool going into the last few games of the season. Um, yeah, costly, costly draw today. Um, lastly in soccer, too, um, I want to make sure that I'm like being represented, like representative of women's sport too. Like I'm not just always talking about men's sport or, you know, when cool things do happen in, uh, you know, WNBA or women's soccer or whatever it is that I'm, I'm covering it and not being biased too. So I saw that I hadn't been in touch with obviously the, uh, women's Spanish soccer league, but I found out today as their season concluded, the Barcelona team, uh, uh, Women's Barcelona FC, they were undefeated the whole season. They played 30 games. They won all 30 games. They scored 160 goals. So what's that? Like an average of over five goals a game. And they only conceded 11 goals across the 30 games. So a lot of clean sheets. So, man, that's just so impressive. I don't think that's ever been done before. Um, wow. Crazy good team. Crazy. Everyone sort of knows Chelsea with Sam Kerr, especially if you're an Australian. So hopefully we get to see, um, similar with the men's comp- competition, how they do like a club World Cup, you know, the winners of of different leagues or the Champions League and different competitions come together for a uh, a bigger tournament. Hopefully we could see um, some of these big, bigger um, teams in England like Sam Kerr and Chelsea take on this uh, Barcelona team. Um, man, that's a scary side playing a team that is undefeated, scored 160 goals almost and only conceded 11. Far out. How impressive is that? Sevens that we had this morning. Uh, we had... Milwaukee Bucks versus Celtics at Boston. And then we also had Phoenix Suns at home to the Dallas Mavericks, both game sevens. You win this game and in the East, you're playing the Miami Heat. And in the West, you're going, you've got a date with the Golden State Warriors. So 
Let's see. Okay. Let's talk about the Suns versus the Mavericks first. So I thought like a nice fact I found out about this game before leading into it was in game sevens uh, in the playoffs, 110 times the home team has won and only 34 times the home team's lost. So again, I always talk about home, uh, home court, home field advantage. It's a real thing, especially in basketball, especially in a sudden death game. Um, you know, Phoenix Suns were the number one team for a reason. They had the best uh, win-loss record in the regular season, setting a franchise record. And I think everyone, even myself included, expected Phoenix Suns to win. And a lot of people expected a blowout victory here. But uh, And we got it. We got a blowout win. But just not for the Suns, the Mavs blew out uh, Phoenix. In the end, it was, I think, 132 to 90. Um, the only thing interesting about this game was finding out by how many points the Mavericks were going to win this by. Um, the Suns, historically at home, shoot so well, so efficiently, and have big 30, 40 point quarters. And I sort of knew today, just by watching the first quarter, when the Dallas and their defense was able to hold the Suns to just 12 points in the first quarter, I was like, wow, Dallas has come here today with a different type of mindset, a different type of intensity. Just like I asked for in last episode, when they came off there, every time they've played at home and we've waited for them to go back to Phoenix, I've said, just do exactly what you did at home. Just, you know, whatever you have to do, visualize, pretend you're, you're back in Dallas or, you know, swap jerseys with the other team, put on the Suns uniform and they wear Dallas's uniform. And if that feels like you, you can get going that way, however you can do it, you just need to bring that same aggression, same intensity um, away from home. And today they did. And it started with Luka Doncic, their, their Serbian uh, magician, Serbian maestro, my goodness, he is so good, man. So, so good. He, today, the Suns tried, you know, to their credit, they tried whatever they could on defense. And especially in those first two quarters, they they put small guys on him, such as Mikel Bridges, who was he probably came second in Defensive Player of the Year voting. So a really solid defender. But Luka Doncic, with his size, and he's a bit, he's a bit thick, uh, just put him in the weight room, just absolute bullied him, uh, put his shoulder, led into him, posted him up, was getting easy over-the-top jump shots. So then Phoenix were like, okay, that was stupid of us to put our smallest players on you, whether it was Cam Johnston, Campaign, or Mikel Bridges. It was like, okay, let's see how you go with Devin Booker, a bit taller or and a bit more athletic, or let's put our biggest dude on you. Let's put uh, DeAndre Ayton. And Luca was up for the challenge again. He um, used his speed, his agility, doing spin moves, and was still even posting up, you know, shoulder barging into DeAndre Aiden, creating space, coming back, stepping back, doing a little jump, uh, jump shot, so clean, every time just hitting swishes into the net. Um, so this game started out with a big lead for Dallas, and they just kept growing it. And... Man, you could, again, you could see the tenacity and energy and effort that Dallas came in with today. Every time, especially in that first quarter or second quarter where 
Luca and the boys, the other guys, Spencer Dimwitty especially today, but also Jalen Brunson made a shot. They were always, you know, shaking their head, drawing with the crowd, having conversations, having words with them. Um, you know, Phoenix, this was a packed house today, not by the end of it for sure, but it started off as a packed house and they were getting booze, they were getting taunted, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, celebrities in the front row coming out to support uh, the Suns and every time the Dallas players hit shots, they were always, you know, giving them a bit of a death stare, shaking their heads, uh, showing their teeth, um, pumping up the chest, really, uh, really, really determined, really on edge, really locked in and could just see, I should have got out and put a bet on them from there. It was just like, damn, these guys are just coming here like we are not losing today. Um, yeah, Dallas just, you have to marvel at their tactics. Like they did exactly what they did at home, shot the three point well, and then exploited matchups on the Phoenix Suns. So every time they had the ball in their sort of offense, they would go, who's our best matchup? Like if I have the ball and I'm dribbling or I'm about to shoot, who do I want defending me? They'd almost point him out, you, okay. Then set a screen, set a pick, get that defender on him, switch out Phoenix's best defender for their worst defender by setting a little wall, setting a screen at midcourt. And then either Luka Doncic would post that defender up being too big or too small and step back, hit a jumper, or do a crazy dribble, spin move, and just get an easy layup or dunk. Um, Or, you know, draw a double team, whether it was Luka or Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie, find the open man, and just hit a regulation open three. Um, and it was great to see them knock down those shots today. So we, um, Luka Doncic definitely had his weak beaks today. Um, my goodness. And great to see, you know, the others step up. I always talk about the others, and that's what you need. You, we've seen before when Luka has a 40, 50-point game, Dallas often loses. But... If he just has a 30 or 25 point game like he did today and Spencer Dimwitty got 32, Jalen Brunson got 28, uh, Finney Smith is hitting threes, uh, Reggie Bullock is hitting threes, uh, Kleber is getting rebounds and getting points in the paint. Man, they just look like a different team. They're so scary. They're unstoppable. Um, the Suns though, you know, they, they came in with the game plan of, you know, get the ball to Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden is the b- biggest guy on the, on the floor, the guy that Luca was bullying, he would just go up and get rebounds. And when they started missing a few of their early shots, it just seemed like they came out tight and they worked their offense well in the first few minutes, but then the ball just wasn't going in the basket for them. And then they got a bit tight, they got a bit more nervous, the crowd that was on their favor, you know, they were booing the Dallas players, but then the Dallas players are saying, are shushing them and pumping themselves up and the crowd's getting silent now. And it forced Phoenix to take, you know, worse shots. They were feeling the pressure and they felt a bit more stressed. They're feeling the anxiety. They're just doing rapid fire shots, throwing up Hail Marys, like bad shots and not uh, properly passing the ball around. Like there was no intent behind the passes. It was almost like, hot potato where 
every Phoenix Suns player is scared to have the ball. It's like, I don't want it. Uh, I'm not going to shoot it. I'm not going to get it in. Someone else shoot it because I don't have confidence in myself. And it felt like everybody was passing away the ball or taking rush shots or just taking poor percentage shots, you know, double teamed and going for a shot rather than a pass. Or there's an open layup, but they try and hit an open three anyway. If there's, a, if there's always an open layup, you have to take the open layup. doesn't matter that three points is worth more than two. Uh, that open layup you get 100% of the time. Open three you might hit 60 or 70% of the time. So that's what I mean. One example of like bad percentage or the high percentage plays is being able to game manage and um, make really good decisions about that in the game. Um, so yeah, Phoenix were thrown off early when their shots weren't falling and just that lead kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what was remarkable was that both Devin Booker and Chris Paul, apart from free throws, had zero points from field goals in the first half and most of the way through the third quarter. Their two best players were not able to score any points, basically, for the majority of the game. My days. <laughs> that cannot be happening. You can't expect to win games like that. And their third best player, um, DeAndre Ayton, who I was talking about him getting bully balled and was the victim by Luca all game. Um, yeah, he was just getting abused. And on the offensive uh, end of the floor, he was playing like Rudy Gobert. Like I said, this series should be tougher at the start of it because DeAndre Ayton is a guaranteed sort of walking 20 points, 10 rebounds, almost like a a bit of a poor man's Giannis sort of thing, um, whereas Rudy Gobert is a, a poor, poor, homeless Giannis sort of thing, um, <laughs> where he can try to defend Rudy Gobert, but he's not really giving you much offensively. And then DeAndre Aiden is supposed to give you a lot more offensively, but today he, even himself, like he was a third best player. Devin Booker, Chris Paul are giving you nothing. He needed to stand up. He only hit one, one shot in the first half. So they're three best players and they're giving you basically under five points at halftime. Um, whereas Luka Doncic had 27 points at halftime. The whole of the Phoenix Suns, their total points at halftime was 27. So going into the halftime at like 50, 60 to 27, kind of knew, damn, this game is probably already over. Some fans are already left by then. By the middle of the third, end of the third quarter, it was like 100 to 50. So, yeah, a lot of Phoenix Suns had cleared out by that stage and it was just a party mode for, for Dallas and just kind of bombs away, hitting hitting any shot they wanted. Um, you know what it made me think, though, watching this, was that the, the injury to Luka Doncic at the end of the regular season where they stupidly played him when they didn't need to, but it actually turned out to be not so stupid and a big brain move because it forced Spencer Dimwitty, Jalen Brunson, all the other guys to go, oh, damn, we actually need to do something now. We need to hit shots and we need to be contributors and we can't just rely on Luca. So then for that Jazz series, they, they got their confidence up. They started getting points. They um, worked out how to be more aggressive. And then when Luca came back, Luca was still Luca, but they were like, don't worry, man, we, we're here for you. We can uh, be productive. We can contribute. 
Um, when you're double teamed, I want the ball, man. Like I know I can hit my shot or I can do something and find the open guy. Um, it's been great to see these role players and you know Spencer Dimwitty and Jalen Brunson especially find their confidence, find their stroke. So yeah, shout out Dallas and they're a scary team now. Um, Warriors, I think watching today, man, I, I'm sure they were hoping a little bit that Dallas won, but cause just Phoenix is a bit more complete and, you know, Phoenix played their worst game today, worst game in probably two years. And that doesn't really represent the Phoenix Suns as best, um, as they can play. But man, looking at that and looking at that was the uh, worst game seven loss in history in NBA history. So, Oh, I wouldn't want to play Dallas next. <laughs> if they play that same, uh, sort of informed type of highly confident type of basketball, highly aggressive, getting everyone involved. That's tough. So before we look and dive into that, Dallas versus Golden State matchup and just some early things or early thoughts I'm having with that. Um, let's sort of wrap up the season for the Suns and yeah, what's next for them and yeah, just a couple of intriguing scenarios that I'm thinking about and you know they still have a stacked team. Most of their roster is under contract, like CP3, even though he's going to be 38 next year. He showed us some some big moments during the playoffs and just needed a bit more consistency. We know Devin Booker's a star. He's under contract for another three, four years. Mikel Bridges, their best defender, is uh, under contract. The one sort of glaring thing they need to clean up or decide about was what's going to happen with their big man, DeAndre Ayton, their number three, their third best player. Are they going to sign him? Because he's a free agent now. He's not under contract currently. Like his contract has just expired and, you know, at the start of the, of the season, if you remember, it was a big deal where DeAndre Ayton wanted a max extension. He wanted the two, two fifty, $270 million, uh, deal for five years. Sons were like, we don't know if you're actually worth it. And they gave him a one-year, like $20 or $30 million deal and it's basically called like a prove-it deal. Like we're giving you middle-of-the-road money. We, we do value you, but we just, well, just prove it to us. Prove how good you are. Prove to us that you deserve all that money. And you would say in the regular season, he proved it. But in the playoffs, he didn't really contribute that much. Like he contributed decently against the Pelicans, but that's also the Pelicans. Like you should be. And when, he, when they needed him most... In this uh, series with the Mavs, away from home and at home today, he wasn't able to give them, you know, what what he should. Sort of 20 points, 10 rebounds, 3 or 4 assists, um, be a dominant presence, not get bullied by someone smaller than you. Um, man, so it's going to be interesting. And, you know, if I was any other team in the West Conference... Um, I would be on the phone to Phoenix Suns trying to steal away DeAndre Ayton. Go and offer him the money because that seems like all he w- sort of cares about or the biggest thing in terms of basketball and uh, the next contract that he's looking for. He's looking for a big money deal. Um, 
and it, it works in two ways. You obviously he would make any team better and anybody needs a, t- a player like that, a dominant big who can score points, but also is, you know, really tall and can defend well. But it would also, you know, it hurts the Phoenix Suns to lose him. So it works in both ways. Call up the Phoenix Suns, do what you, whatever it takes to get him as it's going to make your team better and it's going to make the Suns worse. And that's the one thing the Suns need to work out What's going to happen if they do trade him? What sort of pieces or draft picks or veteran players can they get back? Or do they give him the max extension and, and which other players because of that have to go? You know, it's not Major League Baseball where the money's unlimited and the best teams stay the best no matter what. There is, there is salary caps that do exist in the NBA, less so than the NFL. You know, if you break the salary cap in the NBA... You just pay a bit more in tax, but it is there. It is, uh, it's not a Fugazi sort of thing. Um, so fascinated to see what the Suns do with DeAndre Aiden. Now we look ahead to our Western Conference Finals matchup between number three team with the home advantage this season, uh, Golden State. And then number four, Dallas Mavericks, uh, who just beat the Phoenix Suns. So what do I think is going to happen with that one? Both kind of similar teams, and they both play yeah a similar style of basketball, where they play quite small shooting guards, and it's like called small ball, rather than rely on lots of big defenders or you know dudes like Shaq and Giannis running around. They don't have that. They have smaller guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Luka Doncic, Spencer Dimwitty, Jordan Poole, all sort of running around, making threes, making long-range twos or layups, not dunking on your head, shoulder barging into you, uh, even though we saw a bit of that from, from Luka today. So it's going to come down to who can hit their shots. Who can hit your shots? Hit your shots, kid. Um, so I think... Probably, you know, Steph and Luca, both great, great, great players, probably top 10 in the league right now, both of them. So I think they cancel each other out. And then Golden State just has a better backcourt and more experience than Dallas. I trust, it's, it's, I am a little bit biased for Golden State, but uh, I trust Clay Thompson more, you know, to perform better than Spencer Dimwitty. I, I trust uh, Jordan Poole to perform better on average over the seven games than Jalen Brunson. I trust, you know, Anthony Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins, um, and Draymond Green more than I do uh, Finney Smith and Kleber um, and the other guys for Dallas. So I think, you know, the best players on each team sort of get cancelled out. Like both, you know, Luca's going to get he's 30 or 40 points and Steph's going to do the same. It's just who plays better, Spencer Dimwitty or Clay Thompson? I think Clay Thompson. Who plays better, Jordan Poole or Jalen Brunson? I think Jordan Poole. Um, it'll be close though. And I think the key for the Warriors is who's going to guard Luka Doncic. Like we saw today, he's a match matchup nightmare. He creates mismatches. He can do anything he wants. And I think 
what you want to do then is go, fine, you play, play your life out, Luca, but guard everyone else. Like, be okay with giving up 40 points to Luka Doncic, but make sure that Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't get over 20. Make sure Jalen Brunson doesn't get over 20. Um, as we've seen, the Mavs, when Luka explodes, but no one else is there with him, they lose games. It's not enough. And all, all the Golden State needs to do, or any team needs to do, is just play as a team. Having multiple people contribute means you can't double or triple team just one guy. Um, yeah, make it, make it tough for, for Dallas and have, have other people step up. The hard thing is we've just seen Dallas be able to have those other guys step up and they're going to be in their most confident sort of states. So, man, that's going to be an interesting series. I, I can't wait to watch it. The next game or the other game we had today, the early game, woke up 5 a.m. to watch this game, uh, but glad I did. It was uh, entertaining for the most part. Uh, was Milwaukee Bucks, the number three team, versus the Boston Celtics in Boston, the number two team. And just interesting about this series so far, or you know, a fun little fact was that the road team in the series has won four out of the six games. So yes, it's in Boston for game for game seven, and I talked about how much of an advantage that is, and we heard the stat previously that you know, 110 times the team at home has won compared to 34 losses um, being at home. So it's good to play at home. But in this series, maybe it's just as good to be on the road. And then the Bucks came out and sort of were proving that stat wrong a little bit or proving it right, where they came out really strong, similar to what I talked about with Luka Doncic just then. Giannis came out the same way, playing bully ball. Anybody that um, the Celtics switched onto him or had guard him. He was able to just put them in the weight room, shoulder barge them out the way, and they would go sliding along the floor like they're on like a slip and slide, and he would just have an open lane, open dunk. Um, So he was just getting anything he wanted. And what was scary too was that, you know, Giannis, when he plays like that, is already super dangerous. But then in that first quarter, he already had like 12 points, but he had, you know, 10 rebounds as well. But the scariest part was he already had like eight assists. And he, for that first quarter where Milwaukee scored, I think, 26 or 28 points, he was involved in every point, even if he didn't score it himself. And that shows, you know, to start with, what I've criticized Milwaukee for before is that it's Giannis or bust with them. And a lot of the time, especially at different times throughout the game, a lot of the Milwaukee Bucks players, you know, you may as well have my grandma out there just, you know, hands in pockets and just occupying, you know, have a jersey on and occupying space on the floor because she can just watch Giannis as good as anybody else, right? And stand in the corner just as good as anybody else. Um, But it was different in this first quarter is what I'm trying to say in that people, you know, Giannis was being you know, a conductor and directing traffic and the rest of the team were running around and creating mismatches and creating screens and, um, you know, putting in work for each other, creating nice runs behind the defense and getting open layups or open three-pointers. Uh, it was great to see. But then it went a bit stagnant again and 
in those last sort of, well, from then onwards, from the second, third, fourth quarter, it really was, it went back to Giannis or bust. And it was interesting to watch because both the Celtics and the Bucks employed the same tactic on defense, right? That let's build a wall and not give up any easy two-pointers and let's just see which team can shoot better from three. And we're going to leave, you know, your fourth or fifth best player wide open every time. We're going to stop Jason Tatum or Giannis Antetokounmpo or Drew Holiday or Jalen Brown. We're not giving you easy two-point shots. We're double-teaming you guys. You're the best one or two players on your respective teams. But we just don't believe your fourth or fifth best guy, whoever that was on the field, is going to stand in the corner, wait patiently, and hit the three-pointer when they're called upon. And for Milwaukee, they couldn't hit their shots. Versus Boston, they could. This guy, Grant Williams, who's played incredible defense against Giannis most of this series and been a great part in making that wall and um, contesting him on a lot of shots, trying to get turnovers, get steals, block shots. He was out there in the corner or, um, you know, just waiting patiently wherever around the three-point line. And he was a difference today, similar to like Al Horford back in game four, where he went off for over 30 points or just over 30 points. Grant Williams today went off for 32 points and got uh, seven three-pointers. Whereas the Bucks, you know, they took a lot of shots. They had the same amount of shots as uh, the Celtics. But from three points, they only hit four three-pointers the whole night. And they had 33 chances. And a lot of those chances were wide open. So, yeah. Celtics could pull it off. They could. They had the stronger Great Wall of China. And they, you know, drank Steph Curry's blood or... Um, hired Steph Curry's trainer before the game and they were hitting their shots better than Milwaukee. So that's really all it came down to. Wasn't super close uh, in the end, which was a bit disappointing. Um, it was like 112 to 91, 92. So yeah, shame to see the Bucks go out, especially because, you know, this whole series and the series before they haven't had their second best or yeah, their second best player in Chris Middleton, their closer, which I've talked about, and how much of an impact he usually has in those third and fourth quarters. Um, exciting, though, that we will have a new NBA champion at the end of this season. You know, the defending champs going down, and yeah, I think that's good for it's good for the the sport. People like new things happening or a new champion. You know, remember how sick and how butthurt people get with the Warriors, you know, after winning it four times in that five-year period, um, or three, three or four times? Yeah, anyway, when the Warriors went back-to-back and they had Kevin Durant and it was basically Cleveland, Golden State every year in the finals between 2013 and 2019, um, people get bored of that really quickly. So as much as we love the Bucks and I love them especially too, I think... For a lot of people, this is a good thing. And, you know, it's great to see young players on the Celtics, especially uh, Jason Tatum, sort of rise into the superstar and the new sort of face of the franchise of the NBA that he's becoming. Um, Yeah, 
in that first round, took down Kevin Durant, legend. This round, took down Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's he's out there taking names. So is he going to add Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo to the list? Um, I'm keen to see. Now, this next upcoming matchup, like I just sort of alluded to, um, Miami being the number one team in the East, our Eastern Conference Finals is going to be Miami Heat versus Boston Celtics. And, man, I'm not I'm not ready to call the winner. Or maybe I am, but I'm not as confident. I think Golden State, probably like 60 or 70% confident they can deal with the Mavs and get through to the finals. This one is more maybe 55 to 45% sort of confident either way. It's more of a coin flip. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued because Miami has had more a more favorable draw so far. You know, they played the Atlanta Hawks and they were missing a lot of um, pieces on, on, on their team due to injury. Like it was really just Trey Hawk, um, Trey Hawk, um, Trey Young for the Atlanta Hawks versus the whole Miami Heat. And that series was, it was never really close or competitive, similar with the 76ers, right? Where Joel Embiid was out for a lot of those games um, and the 76ers didn't play with any heart or any passion and it was really Joel Embiid or well, really Tyrese Maxey versus the Miami Heat, their third or fourth best player. Um, so sad. <laughs> Sack everyone on that, tri- on that team. Um, so now Miami Heat is going to play a proper team with proper supporting cast and, you know, where they have, it's not just one player versus the whole team. It's, you know, you have to take care of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart on defense. Um, this guy, Grant Williams now hitting threes, um, Al Horford. Um, they've got bigs in Tice as well. Man, Pritchard is, was hitting threes as well today. So it's a proper team and the depth goes down to that like sixth, seventh, eighth dude, not just, oh, we have a starting five and then we basically pull people off the street from there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interesting to see Miami get tested for the first time now. And their star player on Miami, Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler, he's their best scorer, but... Again, in those series they've played previously against Atlanta and they just played Philadelphia, that he hasn't had to play defense. You know, they've been able to put, um, you know, he's been covering the the opposite teams, you know, on Philadelphia or Atlanta, their fourth or fifth best, best player. So he was able to relax, not really... Um, use much energy in those series, like pretty fresh and, you know, attack with a lot of energy and effort. Whereas he's going to have to defend just as much as he attacks, similar to how, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker were were worn down by the Mavs in that series, making them defend and switch and not rest when they're on defense. Can't just stand in the corner with your hands in your pockets against this Boston Celtics team. They move the ball they run around nonstop. So interested to see with that one. Like I said at the start, I'm probably leaning towards the Celtics just by a little smidge. I think they have, yeah, they're more battle tested. 
they've gone through a harder route. They can be more confident on themselves and know, you know, we've gone seven games and we came out the other side and we've taken down, you know, two or three big legends already. Like I said, um, Miami Heat probably, oh, they'll still be tough. Yeah. But I think that they're more efficient, the Celtics, with their shooting and they can be more explosive. They've got four or five guys that can get 20 points, whereas Miami Heat probably only have three or four, but they have really solid defense as well. So it's a toss-up. And yeah, you got to take care of your home court and Miami being the top seed. If a game seven's needed, it's going to be in Miami. So they do have that advantage. So we'll see. We'll see. Alrighty, shifting gears from the NBA, and we're going to do a couple of questions now. Um, So first question from Tyler. He writes in, um, thanks Tyler for the question. He said, what should the 76ers do next? What's the plan for the offseason, especially with James Harden? Do you sign him? Do you trade him? What do you think? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Uh, so 76ers bowing out of the playoffs before, you know, disappointingly. They had title expectations, especially after that trade, right? You get rid of Ben Simmons, who a lot of people thought was wasting away and, you know, just a criminal taking money, hijacking the salary cap, Um Got James Harden, should be, you know, almost guaranteed 20, 30 points every night, 10 assists, a few rebounds, um, almost like having two number ones on your team with Joel Embiid and James Harden uh, in their prime. So what do you do? I think a lot of people would say, get rid of James Harden, right? He's shown you he can't do it at the, at the top level. And that's why they did the trade, right? He was brought in not to beat the Sacramento Kings in the regular season or the San Antonio Spurs or whoever, the the Cavs, whatever. He's he's supposed to be the player that helps you take the step into the Eastern Conference Finals, who is a Finals MVP, take you to the Finals and win a Finals MVP for you. And he's clearly shown he, he can't be that. And maybe some people would think it's not enough time. You know, he only had two or three months. He's still learning the offense. I don't know. I don't know about that. He He's in the best situation he could have asked for, right? Like playing with someone who's a dominant big in Joel Embiid, um, getting mismatches, playing one-on-one. Like previous teams, he, he was double teamed and can, highly contested on every shot and played under a lot of pressure and had to be the number one player. This team, he doesn't. He's, you know, off the leash, so much freedom. So I would say trade him, but trade him not yet. Trade him sort of mid-season next year. Like his stock right now is at like an all-time low. Like if you try to trade him, what do you get back? I feel like you get back maybe one or two players and that are just yeah, not what you need, not going to be good enough, like role players. And you need, I don't know, a couple of players, but just of a higher caliber. So I think, wait, start the season with James Harden. Hopefully 
let him beat up on some bad teams, have his stock rise again, and then maybe then then trade him. Then try to capitalize while the iron's hot, strike while the iron's hot, and sell him to a bad team that's ready to give up anything and everything. Um, that's that's how I would do it. Alrighty, and my last question today comes in from Josh, who says, The NFL has released its schedule. Hell yeah. Um, looking at week one, what matchups stand out to you as sort of must-watch TV? Who you got for those games as well? Hmm, it's probably a bit too early to do predictions because it's just so much can happen. You know, more trades can happen or injuries and coaching changes so it's hard to predict those games i will predict them but uh, don't expect these predictions to be right but the games that stick out to me man i think that the nfl is so smart you know doing a schedule they don't just pick out random teams and make it work and like oh you know the chiefs are gonna play uh the jags on opening night like no we're not having one of the best teams play the worst teams like we want to have a lot of people watch it. They care about the audience and the fans and are trying to get the most amount of people watching it. So it's no surprise. And I think one of the best games they could have picked, like they did, Thursday night football to open up the season, the Bills versus the LA Rams, the current defending champions. And that's such a great matchup because you think about how the last season ended. LA Rams won the Super Bowl and they were the you know, NFC representative on the Super Bowl. And the AFC, you know, the Bills went down to the Chiefs um, in the divisional round last year. But famously, they lost in overtime that crazy game where, you know, Mahomes would score a touchdown and then like 10 seconds later, Josh Allen would score a touchdown and then Mahomes would answer back and then the Chiefs tied the game in the last second and then if you don't know about the overtime rules in the NFL... Last year, it basically was, you know, you say whoever wins the coin toss basically wins overtime because the rule is if you if you win the coin toss, you choose to get the ball. You can choose offense or, offense or defense, but everyone chooses offense because if you have the ball first and score a touchdown, the game's over. It's not both teams have to have the ball. So the Chiefs won the ball, won the toss last year. They chose to attack, and they scored a touchdown. Game over. Josh Allen and the Bills left heartbroken again. Didn't get to touch the ball, and they cried so much about it in the off season that they forced the NFL to change the overtime rules to make it more fair. That both teams now have to get the ball in the playoffs in overtime. So. A lot of Bills fans left wondering last year, oh, but if only we had the ball, like we probably would have beat the Chiefs, surely. And then we could have beat the Bengals and the Bengals were in the Super Bowl against the Rams who, who lost to the Rams. So, you know, if we win against the Chiefs and we win against the Bengals, oh, I'm sure we would have beat the Rams. So the NFL is like, okay, Bills fans, here it is. Show us how good you are. Prove you would have won the Super Bowl then. Uh, I love it. I love that matchup. That's a good one. I think as well, the Chiefs versus the Cardinals, both high-powered, attacking young quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and uh, Patrick Mahomes, both superstar players. And 
yeah, really high-powered offenses. So I think that that has the potential to be a shootout, like a 40 to 35 type of game. I think Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay with Tom Brady versus uh, how about them Cowboys or Whedon Boys, them Dallas Cowboys. I think that um, I love that matchup. I love the potential for the the Dallas Cowboys to get an ass whoop in the first week of uh, the season. Love to see that. With all the trades that's been happening in the AFC West in particular, I think now, you know, previous seasons, the NFC West was the best division in football and so tough because it's like all, all four of those teams previously, back when Russell Wilson was on the Seahawks, like Seahawks, 49ers, Cardinals, and LA Rams are all playoff teams, but basically only one or two of them would go to the playoffs each year. So it was, it was so unfair, but now... Russell Wilson moving to the AFC West. I feel like now the AFC West is the best division in football. So great to see a divisional game. Uh, Chargers versus the Raiders, I think. Derek Carr versus Justin Herbert. And we get to see Devontae Adams. First look at him, the new wide receiver who came across from Green Bay. Get to have a look at that Chargers defense, new and improved. Um, Yeah, every divisional game is going to count in that division. Like, they're often going to beat all the out-of-conference or out-division teams, and the team that goes to the playoff and wins that division is going to be the team that steals wins, in particular away from home, I think, in that division. Like, if you can if you can beat the Chiefs twice a year or if you can beat the Raiders twice a year, that's a, such an advantage in, in the playoffs or in the, in the standings to go to the playoffs. So, last interesting game as well, um, Josh, was I thought... The final game, Monday Night Football, a lot of people will think trash game, not worth watching, but just the drama of Seattle versus the Broncos. They're forcing Russell Wilson to play his beloved Seahawks in week one, and I think it probably will be um, maybe a a reverse of that famous Super Bowl where Seattle won that Super Bowl like 35 to nil or something. It might be the Broncos enacting their revenge uh, and getting Russell Wilson to do it this time, I think uh, Russell shows the Seahawks and he's allowed to cook. He cooks it up in the kitchen and, yeah, cooks Seattle in this game. So very, very intrigued to watch those games. Uh, great question, Josh. Awesome. Alrighty, we're going to leave it there for today. Um probably back in a couple days, probably after game one of both East and West Conference Finals. Uh, But yeah, crazy to recap those Game 7s today. Massive result for the Mavs especially. Keen to see how they match up with Golden State. Uh, Yeah, keep writing in with with your questions and your suggestions at at TomPatterson97 on Instagram or or send me a direct message uh, on Facebook. Um, Yeah, love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, whatever time it is for you, wherever you are right now, hope you're having a great day. Uh, I'll see you next time. Bye.